0: I'm going to go
1: So, hey, everybody. Welcome to the 299th episode of the More Than Just Code podcast. My name is Tim Mitchell, and I am in Toronto, Ontario. And I'm joined once again by Jaime Lopez, Jr. in Seattle, Washington. How's it going? And Mark Rubin down in San Jose, California. Hello. All right. All right. So, we'll dig in um, some fact checks from last week. Uh, I I totally drew a blank on, on Leo Dion's name, but uh, he's the uh, person who had me on his um, podcast uh, last last summer, I guess, after we did, uh, we both spoke at Swift SwiftTO. Uh, um, which I think is—I think I heard today was going to move to like uh, what do you say? It's not going to be in person. It's going to be like um, some sort of virtual thing. I'll have to look it up again. Anyway, um, so Leo—Leo Leo, uh, was telling me that his uh, his partner in podcasting on OK Production, I think is the name of the podcast, um, has a script that he uses to uh, convert the audio to uh, a video format. So you upload an image and all that kind of stuff. And some of the samples I linked in last week's show were were done using that script. So that was uh, shout out to Leo. Leo couldn't remember his name, but there you go, remembered him this time. And uh, we were also talking about, um, about 3D printing and the type of printing that I have. Now, at the time, I was only aware that there were only two types of, of media you could use when Mark asked me the question. PLA is polylactic acid, which is what PLA stands for. And the other one is probably, oh, I'm going to say it now, it's acrylon acrylonitrile butylane styrene, which you may already know.
2: Acry-
1: acrylonitrile maybe? Acrylon acrylon
2: because it's probably like acrylic, right? Acry- acrylonitrile but- butadiene styrene.
1: Yeah, Yeah, it's a little softer um, type of plastic you may know it from as ABS, right? Which is what your plumbing is made out of, probably. Anyway, but but in in looking at some research over the last couple of weeks or last weekend because I was doing a lot of printing and and looking into like uh, I keep all my you know wasted prints and stuff like that because you know I want to I want to recycle the media rather than throw it out. Um, so I was looking into like different ways of of uh, creating extruding uh, new new PLA from the waste PLA. Um, but in the in my explorations, I found a, a link from an, another youtube uh, youtuber that uh, he went and talked to someone who 's involved in printing and there are like a gazillion different kinds of media you can actually or uh, you can actually print some of which is like really super expensive but you know there 's all kinds of different things besides p l a and a b s that you can print with on a 3 d printer i mean they 're even printing houses with concrete right so
2: so can your can your printer work with different materials and you just get a bottle of the right stuff and pour it in? Is that how it works?
1: Yeah, it's actually a, comes in a, spew, a spool, like uh, mm-hmm. it's like it's already ex- pre-extruded, and uh, yeah, you can change the size of the nozzle. Like it's there's a thing called the hot end, which is where the the which gets heated, and uh, you pass the you you push the uh, the um, the spool of of um, PLA through. But you set the when you set up the software, you say what temperature you want to to melt it at, right? And then you also have a heated bed that it, the the substrate lands on. So depend like so for ABS. And for PLA, they, they run at different temperatures. They have higher and lower melting points and that kind of stuff. Um, so, yeah, as long as your, your hot end can handle, like, the whatever temperature the other media needs, you can run it with this. Uh, you can run it through. So the slicer just does the slicing, and you set the temperatures up, and, and away you go, and you tell it. You can change the nozzle size depending on the size. of Like, I run with 1.75 uh, millimeter, which is pretty standard size, um, uh, like, uh, media. But you can... You can change it. You can up, put a larger nozzle on, a finer nozzle, all that kind of stuff. So,
2: and is one higher quality than the other one material, or are they about the same, um, or is there a big cost difference, or why would you use one instead of the other?
1: Well, in the case of ABS, ABS is a little bit more. It's a little softer, so it's more flexible. So, if mm-hmm. you ever needed something that would have some bend to it, like like you can bend PLA to a certain extent, but it but it is brittle. It will crack, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, I mean, there's even there's even PLAs that have carbon fiber in them, which are pre- so by the time they're printed, they're actually pretty unbreakable because of the carbon fiber in it, right? So mm-hmm. you can – some of them have metal in them, uh, so you can have like a – so it'll be magnetic, and you can have – I've ordered some with wood because Carol is uh, also a milliner, which is a hat maker. And uh, one of the things is, is the head blocks are super hard to get now because people are using them to decorate their houses rather than make, house, make hats. And so we were try- going to try and print some um, head blocks with uh, with the PLA made of wood and see if we can, she can stick her thumbtacks in and that kind of stuff. So, yeah, uh, pretty cool stuff. But, yeah, there's all kinds of different different substrates you can use and just change the settings on your printer and change your nozzles and that kind of stuff. Mine's a pretty, pretty low-end printer, so probably wouldn't go too far, too crazy on that idea, right? But, yeah, I mean, you can spend... I think you can get a, probably a printer for like, you know, three, $400 to start. And then you can go like the, the, the big ones are Ultima- Ultimaker, Ultimaker are, is a manufacturer that makes a lot of, a lot of them. They're like thousands of dollars. And then you can even, you can go crazy all the way up to like, I'm sure there's industrial printers that are meant to, you know, be running all day, 24 seven kind of thing. That would be, you know, in the tens of thousands of dollars, right? Or more. But yeah, it's a, it's an interesting, Arena.
2: So the the metal ones. Can you make stuff that's actually electrically conducting? Can you make electronic components out of
1: this? Uh, yeah, I guess so. I mean, I don't know why. I'm not sure why. Why they? what the purpose of the metal in them is? But um, but I have seen. I've seen. I've seen other people like like use it for casting. Like they'll, they'll print a metal. They'll print a part out of PLA, and then they'll use a kind of lost wax process to to melt the. Um, like they'll they'll put it into a sand form, and you know, and then they'll pour um, molten metal into it, and because the it's got a, it melts at like, um, around 180 degrees. Um, that's Fahrenheit, I guess. Yeah. 180 degrees Fahrenheit. Um, or no, is that Celsius? Must be Celsius, I guess. Right. Um, but you know, cause metal, metal has a, has a much higher uh, melting point, right? It's, you pour it in it'll, it'll replace like, like the lost wax process replaces the wax with metal. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, in this case here, the PLA burns away and you end up with a metal part. Right. So I've seen, I've seen people do that with, uh, with, um, PLA and ABS and that kind of stuff. right? Mm-hmm. But yeah, you can. You know, it. It. You know, it's great for prototyping and stuff like that, right? So, mm-hmm. yeah. and you know, you can do the same thing. You can. You know, you can measure. Like, it's it's super accurate. You can measure your prints with uh, with um, like I have a uh, calipers and that kind of stuff, and you can measure like right down. You say I want a three millimeter thing, and it ends. You end up measuring it at three millimeter, right? So,
0: mm-hmm.
1: nice, pretty accurate stuff. All right. In the meantime, how um, do we have? Any ask MTJC? Yeah, we've got uh, a
3: couple links from uh, at Harmonic Lattice peeking down the rabbit hole, who has uh, responded back. So we, we talked about the uh, hype cycles um, for, for technology and sort of how those end up working and the concept of the hype cycle sort of in general, right? You know, mm-hmm. peaks and valleys um, and a plateau of productivity sort of thing. Uh, and they responded back with uh, some other uh, three different sort of interesting um, sort of parallels. So one is uh, says here, no clear connection, but here's another example of a similar curve in the context of machine learning. for something called a deep double descent, where as you add more training data, the model improves or the, or the model's performance improves. And then it counterintuitively gets worse with more data until it starts getting better with more data. Uh, and you might imagine what that looks like as on a chart. And we'll have these links in the show notes for those of you driving at home. You've also got the emotional cycle of change. You know, we have uninformed optimism, and then you go down into a valley of despair and you come out into uh, success and fulfillment. And rounding things out, you've got the emotional journey of creating anything great where you also start out as like, hey, things are pretty good. Oh, eventually it's it's terrible and you're in the, uh, what do they call it? The dark swamp of despair until you get <laughs> out into the point in which this is one of the things I'm proud of. So I thought that was sort of an interesting um, set of parallels there. So thank you for sharing
2: those with us. Yeah. Before people start screaming at their screen, uh, Jaime, you mentioned that in the double descent that it gets worse as you add more data, uh, but this plot is actually showing it's, it's getting worse as a function of the size of the model. Model, the number of the nodes in the model, not the amount of data in the model.
3: Oh, that, was, I apologize. Yeah I, yeah. I didn't have even the slightest clue, so I did, I did the most cursory glance of like, all right, what what is it that they're trying to say here? And apparently I got the gist wrong, but the graph is pretty. The,
2: the graph is pretty, so yeah.
3: It, so it yeah. was in the model size and not the data size? Model size,
2: yeah. That's the number of number of nets, which is kind of surprising. Actually, I guess that's why they are making a point of of showing, showing it. I mean, it, it's... It's sort of well. It's sort of well known why the model starts to get worse as the model size gets up because you have a limited amount of data and uh, it's got some noise in it. Data always has noise in it. So if your model has too many parameters, you start fitting. Your curves to the noise essentially, and your model's got plenty of degrees of freedom, so it it will happily fit itself to the to the actual noise in your data. That's called overfitting. Uh, so so it's kind of well known that if you try to make your model too big, you get worse results. But it is actually interesting, and I don't know what causes that. That it starts to get better again. So that's kind of so that's interesting. That I'm going to have to look up.
3: Oh, I see that uh, I wasn't wrong per se. I was uh, incomplete or possibly misleading because there's model where the model size has that you know better worse better. You have sample size, which is the data size that does that. And you have uh, training time, which does the same because they call it uh, model-wise, double descent, sample-wise, non-monotonicity, and epic-wise... Epoch wise double
2: descent. Okay, yeah, I was just looking at that first model size graph. I hadn't actually dug down into the other plots, but.
3: Yeah, depending on how you have your browser open, the fold Mm -hmm. is a little misleading. Mm -hmm. Uh, On mine, it looks like there's nothing to scroll down to.
2: Mm -hmm. Anyway, interesting. Yeah, yeah. Completely off topic from where where we were, (laughs) though. (laughs) But interesting nonetheless.
1: (laughs) More than just go. What else we got, Jaime? Kim, you've got a who knew fact check. Ask MTJC. Who knew? Oh yes, the who knew. So yeah, we were talking. Uh, we were talking last week. Uh, I was watching um, Who Wants to Be a Millionaire, hosted by Jimmy Kimmel, and uh, the question for thirty two thousand dollars was, um, what was it? Twenty something states. Oh yeah.
2: twenty right seven 20, states. Surprise.
1: Twenty seven states lie least partially north of Canada's southmost point, which is in what province? Of course, you know the thing. Or Saskatchewan, Nova Scotia, Ontario, or Quebec. And I think most people in the show would know. We, in fact, had, we even had a map that Greg gave us with a line showing where Toronto was on the map and, and how it's... Uh Above a lot of states, but apparently, yeah, I, I didn't know this. I'd heard of Point Pelee Provincial Park, which is uh, which is just north of this little island called Pelee, um, where it looks like Fish Point Provincial Natural Reserve is the lowest point in Ontario. It's actually lower than um, lower than Detroit and Windsor, right? So yeah, so it puts a lot of provinces or sorry, a lot of states above it, which is strange. Like, can we figure out what twenty seven states were, would be above that line? would we even know i think almost... when
3: we looked it was like any state that has at least part of the state above that line right yeah that was the
2: what well, was what 50 yeah. 50 states it's 50 states and so that that little island it's called, what was it called middle island was that the name of it or pili, i think yeah pili no no so it's actually not pili no oh. remember we uh, so oh, yeah, pili right. it's itself is is a little further north it's in this oh right yeah in this plot that you're showing in the show notes uh right at the very bottom there's a tiny little island right on the border and that's called Middle Island. And that's just a, a nudge below the 42nd parallel, which is the border of a lot of states in the US. Like it's the border of of Oregon and, and California, for example. It's the border of Nevada and Idaho, for example. Uh, and so it's actually relatively far south. So the fact that California and Nevada all go up to the 42nd parallel, put them slightly, just slightly north of this tiny little Middle Island. It's it's not, they're south of Pele, Pele or Pele Island or wherever Hawkins, Browns, but they're just north of this tiny little middle island right there. So yeah, twenty-seven U.S. states are above that line. It's pretty amazing and unexpected.
1: And a lot of the uh, eastern, east New England as well, right? Vermont, New Hampshire, New York, Massachusetts. Oh, sure, absolutely,
2: all of those. Yeah, yeah.
1: I don't know. I don't know about Connecticut, though. Is it falling? I guess Definitely I Connecticut. Think. Yeah, Pennsylvania, yeah. probably Indiana, even right? Uh,
2: yeah. So okay, if if we want to, <laughs> I can. I'm looking at the map right now. If we want, I can read them off. So obviously, yeah. Alaska, even parts
1: of California are north. Worth of this, well, yes,
3: exactly. Tim, you're practically on the other side of the Mason Dixon line, like you're like right. right next door to Tammy Coron in Tennessee, apparently. I guess, yeah. yeah. So,
2: you know, California, Nevada, Utah, Wyoming, Nebraska, Iowa, Illinois. I'm just reading across from left to right, of course. Anything north of that is obviously included as well, right? Yeah, uh, Indiana, Ohio. Wait a minute, is it Indiana? Indiana might be close, I'm not sure about Indiana, yeah, uh, but Ohio because it kind of sticks up a little bit, Pennsylvania, New York york massachusetts well maybe connecticut doesn't actually i can't it depends really on your tell. projection right mark oh it does actually it does when i zoomed in yeah for sure for sure uh, connecticut and rhode island do it's amazing
1: yeah. almost half is of amazing. america right
3: in in more than half, states.
2: not in by population, though. No. Fifty yeah.
3: states, and if, if they claim in the yeah. the thing that it was twenty seven, that's uh... yeah.
2: definitely not by population. Because when we include California, of the forty million or so people who live in California, probably a thousand of them actually live above that line. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's a really
2: small, uh, small Reno? amount. Okay, not not Reno.
1: No, um, no, I'm just saying. Yeah, I'm looking at the map here.
2: Yeah, it's it's just it's it's just if you look at the map, let me see what's Where's the
1: California, California California's a long, long state.
2: Yeah. And it's I mean it's literally it's like the from the forty two degrees latitude to something like forty one point seven degrees latitude. Yeah. It's a tiny, tiny sliver. And forty million
1: people live there? Like that's just gonna like if the
2: In California? Yeah, something like that.
1: Wow. How, how many are on the other side of the San Andreas Fault? What do you Most mean by
2: them? the What do you mean by the other side of the San Andreas? Well, I mean Fault? the, the, the that side mean? that's
1: going to sink into the ocean and drown.
2: Oh well. <laughs> so the San Andreas Fault, yeah, it, it runs down the peninsula. What we call the peninsula, which is everyone who's been here who knows, but for people who haven't, uh, San Francisco, the city, is actually at the top of a fairly long peninsula. Uh, that's the west side of the San Francisco Bay, which is kind of a it's a giant bay, but it's almost completely. Surrounded by land, uh, the only place where it isn't is 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 a little strip of water where the Golden Gate Bridge goes across. So the San Andreas Fault goes from it probably starts even north of San Francisco, but it definitely goes south from San Francisco down, um, you know, through kind of kind of where I am down in San Jose and kind of even further south. So yeah, we'd we'd lose if if we did fall in, we'd lose a lot. But <laughs> but most people are more worried these days about a different fault. It's not even the San Andreas Fault. It's right. it's something called the Hayward Fault. Which is on the east side of that big bay that I was talking about, kind of goes yeah. through Oakland and Berkeley and Fremont over there. If that went and took everything west of it, that would be bad. <laughs> Let's just leave it at that. <laughs> that would be the pretty much the whole bay area, which would probably be eleven or twelve million people would be affected by that. Crazy, but it won't. It, it won't. Ever be that bad. I mean, even a horrible earthquake won't. It's not going to fall off the fall off into the ocean.
1: Yeah, you know, there's never going to be any major disaster that's going to like affect like just about everybody on the planet at any point in time in the future, right? he said you mean like precisely. a like a
2: pandemic like yeah, a you
1: pandemic mean? or yeah or an epidemic well, or yeah you know it's that'll never happen let's cut all the funding right <laughs> uh, all right right uh, all right so moving on let's let's uh, let's give Jaime the uh, the floor with the Microsoft stuff yeah a very quick recap just more of
3: the comparative analysis of what's going on in other parts of the industry and project what that might mean if anything at all for for our side right so Microsoft held its build conference online as we we mentioned so this this qualifies as follow-up. And the conference had like a ton of things that they announced. I chose sort of three areas that I thought were interesting, um, or at least the most interesting to possibly this audience. One is something called Project Reunion, where, tell me if you've heard this one, Microsoft wants to take one way of building apps and another way of building apps, in this mm-hmm. case for Windows, and combine them into, you know, if not one true way, at least one way of building apps. So this is unifying their Windows desktop in universal Windows platform, UWP apps, do something together so that you can write apps that will work across various versions of Windows. So if you're and unaware of Project Catalyst or Forgotten, that right. was the one that I was hinting at. Oh, I see. Right. And, and
2: then people will still not care.
3: <laughs> It'll, it, it, you opinion. know, as, as much as Project Catalyst seems like, oh, kind of a weird thing over the last year or two. Trust me, it is a huge nightmare on the, the Windows side. So hmm. um, it's not easy to get this thing right. This is like the third or fourth attempt Microsoft has taken to try to do this thing so i feel a little better about project catalyst trying to bring um you know ios apps to uh the mac os cuz it's it's not easy to do definitely not easy to do right uh, the other link here i have it unfortunately doesn't have that great of a take on this topic but i feel like it was a reasonable starting point so microsoft has opened up something they're calling their fluid framework. Um, and they put out an example usage of that, their uh, fluid office document. This article describes as Google docs on steroids, but that's not really the point per se. The point is that they have uh, put together these components. Uh, I believe they're web components that you can use to sort of seamlessly have live updating data and importantly collaboration um, wherever that data happens to be. So imagine something like, you know. Member old school object linking and embedding if you're on the Windows right. side or open doc if you're on the Apple side, you know, to take a slideshow and, and embed a, a spreadsheet, that kind of thing. But hypothetically, a whole lot better in this case in that it, it will be live and it will be rendered nicely, cleanly everywhere it could be. Whether in Microsoft's case, they showed it being in, in sort of like a Google Doc type atmosphere where somebody was changing numbers. And then that was rendering nicely in a Microsoft Teams chat. And it was also rendering nicely in let's say like a sharepoint site so that's all very microsoft specific but you can sort of imagine like oh what if this ended up working like that for online collaboration for other things this, this article chose google docs because i think a fair number of people have used google's suite but it's it's too limiting to call it just that
2: this is a cool thing if it actually works uh you know we've 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 seen it before um and we all know what a pain it can be to even just within the regular Microsoft Office tools to embed, say, a, a little spreadsheet from Excel into a Microsoft Word document and and make it come out right. Uh, it's, it's almost well, I don't say I won't say it's almost impossible, but it's it's not it's not a fun experience. At least it wasn't the last time I tried. So yeah, if this works, this this could be a cool thing. Yeah. It would be it would be hard for them to compete with Google in the collaboration space just because Google Docs is pretty much free, yeah, right? And, trick, well, yeah. maybe it's not for enterprise. But yeah, actually, I, I don't. I can't say I, I actually know what the enterprise pricing of Google Docs versus Microsoft is these days. It's the
3: possible, the, the yeah. key thing business wise is, I think you'll see. Sort of a bifurcation. So your your younger or smaller startupy type companies mm-hmm. overwhelmingly, and, and this is painting you with a very broad brush. So I'm not trying to offend anybody. Overwhelmingly choose the Google suite mm-hmm. of apps. They overwhelmingly choose Slack for instant messaging, and they almost overwhelmingly choose Zoom for their video conferencing. Right on the larger enterprise side, it can vary, but a lot of folks have had just because you know, Microsoft's been so powerful for so long, you probably have a pretty decent sized contract at like let's say like a big place like Boeing, right? Right? That's thousand people, You know, lots of, of desktops, a lot of you know, Windows servers. And so at some point, they probably switched to sort of the you know, all-you-can-eat model of purchasing stuff uh, licensing-wise from Microsoft, which Microsoft has very wisely said, oh, so what if we gave you, instead of site licenses, we said, hey, what if you had licenses for Microsoft Office 365? And guess what? Teams comes with that. And guess what? The Fluid Framework stuff comes with it. So um, it, even if it's like, hey, Google stuff would be free, it's like, well, but then we still have to, you know, go get it to integrate with our tools. Um, whereas somebody say, Hey, what would it cost us to do this? Well, nothing. Cause it's included as part of your Microsoft 365 subscription for your corporations. Oh, okay, cool. And do we need to integrate? No, it's already been integrated by Microsoft. So it's, I can see that there'll be space for both of these sorts of sets of camps to exist.
1: Yeah. And as I said before, mm-hmm. I think that, that, Microsoft already has a very strong foothold in, in a, in a lot of spaces. And, um, I, I, I have, I have um, a few clients who switched over to, to the paid version of Google Docs. I think that the Microsoft um, 365 subscription is very similar to the kind of pricing you get with Google Docs on, the, on a business level, right? Um, so, I mean, because they compete in that same space. It used to be more expensive to have, you know, win, uh, office licenses than, you know, a 365 kind of brought the pricing down a lot, right? Um, but, yeah, it, like Jaime it, I mean, it says, it's super, super easy for uh, Windows-type IT to to manage, you know, like uh, Active Drive directory and things like that. I mean, it's not as hairy as it used to be back in, you know, 10, 10 years ago or more. Um, yeah, I don't know. This this, it, this Fluid document, Fluid Office thing does look interesting. I think that, you know, I think because of the fact that there is already a, a large user base, you know, it, it stands a good chance of success, even though, like you said before, Microsoft has tried some crazy stuff in the past and never really went very far with it, you know, remains to be seen. Yeah, the the,
3: the, the idea is definitely not new, yeah. as we mentioned, OpenDoc and object linking and embedding are very old uh, ideas. Yeah. And I think now we're seeing hopefully good enough web technology and standards that have made this, hopefully uh, make the promise a reality mm-hmm. this time. Well, I mean, the, cert- the last think- you know,
1: two months have been a real trial for, for just about every company out there, right, in terms of what they're doing online and, and what they're able to do. I think that, I mean, I've sort of been a Microsoft user since, you know, my first Mac, right? And because, and, um, you know, I don't know if you guys know this, those are not, but, you know, Word and Excel existed on the Mac before they did in the Windows world, right, or the PC world, IBM world. Um, But uh, yeah, and and I've sort of seen all the different variations of Office and and Outlook and Excel and Entourage before that. Um, And and i watched Google come up and, you know, start from nothing and then, you know, everybody's got a Google Doc, everybody's got a Gmail account, right? And, you know, these are kind of, Microsoft did the same thing with the Explorer browser by giving it away with with Windows. They kind of got, they kind of squished uh netscape into non-existence right um but yeah it's it's an interesting thing that they're doing you know i think they they it'll be interesting to see where it goes all right what's the, in the third one where we talked about
3: yeah it's very timely that you mentioned uh microsoft's previous very it's called a difficult relationship with open source because um Something they've done this year is enhanced their Windows subsystem for Linux to bring Linux GUI mm-hmm. apps to Windows 10. So they've had support for a while for running, um, let's say like command line tools. So you can run um, what's essentially like the, the Linux tools that you would expect to have in a Linux, Unix type system. So right? they have like, actually like um, a kernel run...
1: that they're running on, on Windows? Like they're emulating Unix?
3: I'm not sure how the technical bits work underneath the covers. My understanding is that if you were used to using... Using something you know like curl, like grep, find, you know all those types of commands, rather than uh, trying to switch over to all right. Well, I'm using a Windows box, and now I have to learn what PowerShell that comes with Windows. You know, what are the equivalent commands? Um, that's been sort of a, a difficult obstacle to the entry. So somehow Microsoft has made it so that this Windows subsystem for Linux would enable you to run the developer tools you expect to run if you were coming from uh,
2: Linux or macOS. It like says that. in the article it's adding a full Linux kernel, to Windows really, 10. Yeah. Yeah. So it'll be, it's not even an emulator, really. It's just, just running the real deal. Yeah, I mean, because that's the thing. That's the one mm. thing
1: that, that Windows is, I don't know, I don't know what Windows 10 is under the hood, but, you know, Windows is the last, you know, sort of holdout of, of proprietary operating systems because, you know, Apple is based on BSD, Unix, and a lot of Linux is as well, right? So I'm surprised that they're still being their own operating system, to be honest with you.
3: And that's where people are wondering, like, will they sort of stop and have it be fully open source at some yeah, point no. when these they sort of no longer really want to sell you, uh, you know, copies of windows and to have you subscribe to Azure, you know, Microsoft based services. Yeah. So stuff to, stuff to keep a a watch on for sure.
1: Yeah. it will be interesting. Yeah. I think, I mean, cause that's the thing is like, you know, I think at the end of the day, Unix is going to win the world. Right. It seems, it seems like, you know, I don't know what is Chrome was Chrome. Do you know Chrome OS? What's that run? Is that on, uh, is that Java based or something or
3: Chrome OS is based on the, um, Chromium Project, which is the base for Chrome, the browser as well. Right. There's a lot of weird overlap. Oh, and, and Chrome, the browser, you might remember, it was, was based on WebKit until that was right. forked into Blink, or Burst, whatever Google took it into a different direction. I thought Blink was... It, was yeah. so the, it, it would take an entire show to unravel the uh, the lineage of that.
1: Yeah. I don't know. i lots of weird operating systems in my lifetime. All right. Remember BOS, Mark?
2: I do remember BOS. <laughs> yeah, that... I, I think it was, you know, well, at least the rumors were that it was only a few days away from being the the operating system that Apple yep. purchased to replace classic Mac yep. uh, but ended up going a different direction and and buying Next Step instead. Yeah, I think it was John Louis Gasset so,
1: John Louis Gass- versus uh,
2: versus Steve Jobs. Right? Versus Steve Jobs. Yeah. The world would have been very different. It's 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 probably safe to say that a bos driven Mac would not be what it is today. Would I mean with well would would not be what the Mac is today and and iOS and everything else. I think that's probably safe to say. But who knows? It might have been even bigger. You never know,
1: know. Yeah, and those for those of you kids driving at home. Jean-Luc Gasset was was head of uh, Apple Europe at the time when Scully was around. I think right. So there's some history there. Yeah,
2: was it Scully or yeah, wh- whatever. Yeah, whoever was in charge at the
1: well, time. Well, was when I, forget, when I forget, my fir- very first issue of Macworld magazine that John louis Gasset on the cover um, and mm. talking about running Apple Europe, right? And mm. at, at that time, Jobs was was out. So I don't know if, if Jobs and Gasset overlapped, but I have a feeling don't and I, my, my history may be shaky on this, but I have a feeling it was, you know, in the, was Gil Emilio was, was the CEO when Jobs came back, right? Right. And Jobs kind of walked all over him and um, in the boardroom and uh, yeah, I think I think Gasset was still in the picture and, and uh, the BOS was was going to be his, his next step if you will, right? Mm. I have a demo disc of it here somewhere, but never actually she loaded it up. All right. Uh, what is what is next, Jaime? What's next? Is this I tried
3: to figure out if this should be follow-up, because we have talked about Swift 5.3, yeah. but decided to make it main show sure. content. So I went with the article on Hacking with Swift by uh, Mr. Paul Hudson about what is coming new in Swift 5.3, because there's some interesting stuff, and some stuff that I didn't quite get when I saw from other resources, but now one 100% understand from uh, Paul's take. So I'll let you know when we all get right. there. Uh, the first one, I'm not going to talk about all these. We have the, the link in the show notes. Uh, first one that seems like a, a nicety is the multi-pattern catch clauses. So letting your catch statements accept sort of multiple things that it could be catching for in the same catch. Uh, the example he gives is imagine you had um, an enum that had a too cold case and a too hot case. If we were measuring temperatures and you could do a check with this of like, if it's too cold or, or too hot, you know. It's the same case that we're going to deal with with our handling, oh, right. as opposed to catching too hot and then separately catching too cold, and maybe having some duplication. Yeah, there are cases nice. where it sort of makes sense. Like, oh, the, both of these are coalesce them into the same thing, right? I, I don't have any different handling for it. Mm. Yep. Yeah, not a huge
2: thing, um, but kind of a nice thing. Yeah. yeah. Uh,
3: the one that I one hundred percent did not get when I saw other resources talking about this was the multiple trailing closures. Which
2: oh, this sounds cool.
3: When I saw. And I read the, the, the proposal. I was like, okay, so imagine you take what you have with single trail enclosures today where you can uh, rewrite it as like, okay, I don't want the um, parentheses. I want to just have that trailing closure just sort of neatly and cleanly hanging off the edge. So what if we took that idea and we made it handle that in a nice seamless way for multiple trailing closures? So, you know, you avoid a little bit of parentheses. I'm like, all right, I mean, I'm not going to tell you you're wrong, but it doesn't really Seem like, is this a necessity? I love the way that Paul has written this here, where it's like, oh, for Swift UI, this 100% makes a noticeable difference. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's hard to explain. I definitely say go look at the, the code example side by side of a button with an image, and uh, it looks cleaner. I mean, folks have perhaps complained a little bit about the terseness of Swift UI and how its builders work, but as we get used to it, I'm like, oh, I actually like where this is going, that just like function builders are kind Kind of you know weirdo thingies that add a lot of power to SwiftUI's declarative um, you know way of writing. I'm like, oh, I I get it. It it is cleaner and easier for me to just look and see that this button has you know this action it's going to take, and it has this label with you know this image. I'm like, oh yeah, it's it's easier to see. We've removed some clutter, right?
2: Yeah, I like this, but I can also see how it could be abused pretty badly. Yeah. Uh, and because of this this existence of sort of floating code. Where in this case, he has a button with a closure and then a label property and then another closure and there's white space separating Mm -hmm. the first closure and the next label which is fine in the simple case but then you start building up more things where well what if you know what if you have something that has uh you know lots of nested parentheses and then you have white space and then the next label and and i could easily see how it could get out of hand where it's really easy to lose track of what that label is actually connected to
1: like in this case it's connected to the
2: button right in this case it is yes in this case it's Pretty clear, but I could see how it could get kind of crazy with really complicated things.
1: Yeah,
3: um, which yeah. and he he shows the example too, right? Of like even in the simple example, you could you know space it out a little bit different, and it gives you a, a
2: misleading take of what's happening. Yeah, especially if you have some uh, weird uh, indenting in your code going on or something like that, it could be real easy to make make mistakes.
3: And I think to Mark's point, this is this is what uh, we in the business call a foot gun. There are some <laughs> language features in some languages that just really say, Hey, you want to shoot yourself in the foot? We've given you a direct pipeline yeah. to do that. <laughs> and this definitely feels like one of those. And I do, I do feel like other things we've talked about, like, uh, you know, swift lint and other things that, that format things a very consistent way. You probably want to invest in that for right. this because you, you don't want, like Mark said, like magic goes here because, Oh, I didn't understand that because of this ability, I didn't read things correctly because it just happened to be formatted a way that was misleading. Mm-hmm.
1: Yep. But having said uh, so that, it's, a it's nice still a pretty cool feature.
3: It is. <laughs> yeah. It is. So if we wisely use the power that we've been I granted, say, we yes, need to quote Uncle Ben. We'll here, all be right? better for it. Yep. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The Spider-Man, Spider-Man quote for Uncle Ben. Um, uh, other things that were cool were the uh, automatically synthesized comparable conformance for enums. So if things um, are, uh, have associated valuables, uh, valuables, if things have associated values that are themselves conforming to comparable, uh, um, um, it's pretty nice. So he gives the example here of like, all right, you can have an enum with small, medium, large, and extra large, and it just says all right, well, I'm assuming that order is is meaningful to you, so we'll let you know that uh, a shirt size of small and a shirt size of large, I can tell you which one is greater than the other. Um, and then...
1: So is this is this working because the raw value of large is higher than the lo- raw value of small?
3: I think that's what it's doing. Underneath the covers, Is like, yeah. all right, assuming, you know, like, it's not like inferring uh, semantically that small, medium, and large, and extra large are, are meaningful. It's It appears to me to be order-based. Yeah, isn't it sort of like 0, have 1, to read 2, the,
1: 3 sort of thing? Oh, so
3: two is. Oh, it's using the
2: associated yeah. value, right? It's yeah. using the stars value in this particular case right. okay. to do the sorting. Yeah. So they all...
3: Oh, well, it depends because he shows the example with the oh. what he's calling the World Cup result, where you have an associated oh, value okay. of uh, stars int for the case winner and the never won. But if you look above, there's the the flat enum of size that conforms right. to comparable that Has just cases. It's a small, medium, large, and extra large, and they don't appear to have any sort of um, backing value to Tim's question.
2: I see. So it's just the order of the okay. It's just the order of the way you defined it in the in the uh, enum. And well, that's that's kind of a hmm. That's kind of a weird one because the the way that that Swift works now is that order kind of by definition doesn't matter. So it's okay if and enum, kind of you know non non um, enumerated enums in general work this way where you can just start if you have new ones you can just start adding more with no no side effects mm-hmm. um and this potentially add side effects. But I guess it's the same kind of case as the previous one, where if you don't exactly know what you're doing, you can get yourself in trouble. But as long as you do, you're okay.
3: I think the key thing here is that you're, as far as I understand, and I could be wrong because I am lazy and did not read the actual proposal, mm-hmm. um, it looks like if you are con- saying this thing conforms to comparable, yeah. you've you've made an explicit decision that said, oh yes, I, I want you to do yeah. the synthesized magic. Yeah. And that's reasonable. Yeah. Yeah. It wasn't like, I think to your point, like, it wasn't like doing it for everything, which could cause Chaos, if you didn't right. expect that to be uh, changed behavior. Right, right. Yep. How do y'all feel about self no longer
2: being required in many yeah. places? I don't know. Yeah, I've, I've always been a fan of self. I think it adds clarity putting it in. Uh, certainly, I understand it's at the expense of, of um, verbosity. You know, you you end up typing more, you have longer code. But personally, I've always liked self. So I'm kind of not a fan of this kind of
1: thing. Yeah, I was going to say, like like in this case here, it's, it's cell, And then the second example is they don't include, it's just cell, right? So how do you know which cell we're talking about? Like, is it the one within the code block or is it one... One that belongs to the entire class, or, or I guess, it's a struct in this case, right? Yeah,
3: I I don't know. I'm of two minds of it. Like, I can appreciate the you know mm-hmm. uh, reduced number of characters in there, um, and I would say there's probably going to be one camp that says, "Hey, XCode's really nice. It shows you where this is coming from, and it's it's very you know there for you as an integrated development environment." And I would say that's true. But the other camp would probably say, "But there's a fair amount of time I spend looking at this sort of stuff in you know source control." Or code right, reviews and exactly, stuff where I don't yeah, have all access to all of yeah. that, so this yeah. makes it harder for me to tell where the heck the cell come from. Is that like list that it just sort of exists as part of something that was imported, or is this a function defined somewhere here in this body of what I'm looking at? Yeah.
1: So my I'm I'm worried about the people who come from the breaking stuff to see what works kind of school of development. Like will they will they be able to get away with things?
3: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I don't know. Um, speaking of new things that people are are finding interesting ways to break. Uh, but I think is interesting is the type-based program entry points, which is a lot of words to say, hey, remember how your uh, your main.swift was treated special? And whatever's in there was like, all right, we're going to basically bootstrap this and say, this is the main function that we're going to call and run your app. Um, now you don't have to have a main.swift file anymore. Mm-hmm. What? What do you mean? How does a swift know, which is the main part of my, my app? Like, well, now you have an at main attribute that you can add to anything you might well- I assume it's one and only one of those that right. can be considered the app instance that can be run. Hmm.
2: Yeah. It, it's, it, I, I wonder what happens if you have different mains in, say, different modules and things like that, and how does it decide?
3: Yeah. I guess at that point, it would be like target-based of some sort.
2: Yes. Yeah.
3: You could have like a main for your, your watchOS um, extension, maybe, and then that, that maybe does things that you find are interesting, and one that is the main for your actual sort of app as it is, hmm. and depending on what you're building. That's the one that gets run. Um and- Well it does say
1: here on the tin that you may not use this attribute in an app that already has a main.swift file, and you may not have more than one at main property or app or attribute. Like within what context? Yeah, within what scope. I I think he's talking about the whole project, right? Maybe, but, like, build targets sort of muddy the waters there, right? Can't, it will not be inherited by any subclass as
2: well, it says here. Hmm. Yeah. Right, yeah, this, hmm. this is kind of cool. We, there are already similar things, like, for the app delegate, right? So yeah. So, yeah, yeah. not a new concept. So um, yeah.
3: They're calling them attributes. I like to think of them as annotations because there's something very much like that in the in the Java world that I'd like to stop. see. Remote. Especially <laughs> if you get arbitrary uh, <laughs> in Java, in the Java world. Um <laughs> Uh, arbitrary annotations that you can say hey, these are, um, you know, my integration tests. These are my, you know, stage one unit tests. These are my stage two, you know, more in depth tests. Like I'd like to be able to have that sort of power and not have to sort of um, mess around with build targets. And and, and admittedly, some of the niceties that Xcode has given us sometimes a little need a little bit more flexibility and stuff that is more easily readable in a, in a GitHub pull request.
1: Yeah, I thought I thought in um, um, in Swift we're calling the at symbol a property wrapper, like whenever we have an at, at main, at bundle, at, you know, observable object, you know?
2: Yeah, then that's the, that's
1: the name. All right. Okay, carry on.
3: I'm going to skip a whole bunch of these other ones that folks can read and skip way down to the bottom that there is a new float 16 hmm. type, so half precision floating point, apparently commonly used in graphics and machine learning. Okay. So that's okay. there if you'd like. Um, I don't have a really strong opinion on it. I mean, you, you want to make a float 16, by all means, uh, 16 bits of precision.
2: Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. If you're doing some massive numerical thing like a machine learning uh, neural network or or even graphics programming, like it says, you know, where you have, just have huge numbers of things yep. that you're manipulating, yep. and you don't need all that precision right. because you know your calculations aren't really that accurate to that many decimal points, then yeah, you save a lot of memory by doing this. This is this is a good thing.
3: Cool. Also, want to give some shout out to the uh, Swift package manager stuff,
2: right. which doesn't have code examples,
3: but we'll describe here some of the the really nice stuff here. So So package manager resources will allow SPM to have resources such as images, audio, JSON, and more. This is really, really nice. So your Swift packages can be more inclusive of all the stuff you would need if you said, oh, well, we have this, you know, this SDK that we're delivering. Sure, we could deliver code, but uh, source code, but we couldn't deliver like, oh yeah, and, and here's the set of images that you should use to display on the map or, you know, fill in icons and et cetera, unless you, you know, you wanted to do tricks like, oh, well, we've turned it into a base 64 representation in, in a string and then we rehydrate it on the other side. I don't have to go through that effort anymore.
1: And yeah, I can also localize it now, too, with that, too.
3: Yeah. Yeah, it's neat. It's neat. And you've also got, since I said source code, it's what you can also now do binary dependencies. So there are some closed source SDKs out there that need to deliver stuff in a uh, in a closed way, um, such as like Firebase that he uh, calls out here. Uh, they can help use hmm. the Swift Package Manager. Uh, and apparently you can even have um, conditional target dependencies or you can say, hey, uh, this will only apply for specific platforms and configurations. Um, looks like this will be useful for things like compiling for Linux, where you know, Swift on the server is trying to, to get uh, you know more of a foothold.
1: Yeah, and you can download the tool chain as well. By the way, did, did you know that that uh, Xcode eleven point five and iOS thirteen point five and iPadOS thirteen point five went went live today? Did you guys... as a beta right no or no a... the actual gold masters and, and now they're oh really? the release yeah did
3: not very cool I, I i did not see that so there you go breaking yeah, I mean, news I i've already
1: got the ipad os loaded up on my ipad this afternoon so i'll do my phone in a bit but that's cool
3: yeah let us let us know how it goes tim and see you're the canary in the yeah. coal mine just just checking things out for us
1: well check it out for for other reasons too yep that's cool. All right. What is next?
3: This one is uh, A mentioned her last year at this point in time too. I believe we did mention Becky yeah. hansmeyer but this is her WWDC 2020 wish list. So we have what about a month? A month and a day for now. Uh that was probably at the time this was written, but is not when's WWDC like the 21st, 22nd. May 13th, I forget Wednesday. what day yeah, it is. 7 days ago, so
1: 33 days approximately.
3: Sure. Uh there's some stuff uh, here that she's asking for. I'm like, "Oh, some of these are ideas that I think I would I would definitely like to see." So I I bring them to you so let's say like swift UI um, about yep. a collection view. Yes. Do you like that, that? That'd be nice. Like right? that I've seen a lot of people do nifty things to try to yeah. emulate it, but I really, really want official support. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Um, search bar search bar would, would be cool. Uh, apparently interop with the QL preview controller and pencil kit. I've, I've not messed with that, but apparently that could be nicer.
2: St- uh, style parity with UI kit. Mm-hmm. Instead of having certain swift UI elements where you just can't change the color. Right. Yeah. Like, like the uh, the the uh, border around a popover view.
3: Oh, really? Yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't have expected that one. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, other things are in the everything else category. Like, um, I'm kind of curious on the thoughts on this one. So, a complete redesign of Mail, the Mail app. Um, I guess that's okay. I, I don't really have major complaints, except it seems a little buggy. I don't, don't want to throw too much shade. It's still, impossible uh, it feels like stuff. Mail. Yeah, it just like <laughs> decides that it doesn't want to download stuff overnight. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so I'll wake up and be like hey how come i didn't get? You? oh I, I guess these emails are arriving now yeah. <laughs> that are marked as 6 a.m you know um something was weird there uh the some sort of ipad ide that lets me work on xcode projects with some limitations so thank you becky for having very similar thoughts to we had of like you know it, it would be nice if everything was there but but i'm okay even if there were some limitations yeah yeah you know, like swift ui uh no storyboards you know or third-party dependencies or maybe dependencies installed via swift Package manager you know was, just give me something you I've, I've got nothing now. I'd like a little bit of something. Hmm. The uh, revamped iPad multitasking system. I, I think that would be one. Yeah. We, we talked about Renee Ritchie's sort of, you know, take on it and how it could be. You know, I, I think it needs some stuff. I, I actually had it happen again where I accidentally triggered the multitasking in Safari. And I can't figure out how to
2: get out. Was that the problem?
3: I just, I just declared. I, I, there are tricks that you can long press on some button somewhere and say collapse all windows. Mm-hmm. And in this case, I was like, oh, I accidentally triggered a new tab in a new window. That's fine. There's nothing in it. Just kill that one. <laughs> you know that was that was not the ideal. It's Safari situation. on the Mac. No, this is on uh, oh, iPad OS. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I'm I'm very close. And in fact, I might have convinced myself to just turn off multitasking really? altogether because wow. I don't use it myself that often. So your your mileage or kilometerage may vary. And there's certainly people who who do use it and and clearly know it better than I do. Yeah. But for me, it's just it's not working with my poor little brain. I don't care. You know
1: what's, appear, what's appeared on on Mac OS is. Multi- Split split windows, split windows isn't it, as well now, eh? If you go to... There's some apps you can go to full... When you go to full screen mode, you can actually split... You can tile it to the left or right and have a second app loaded on the... Oh, really? Yeah. Like like what, for example? Well, you know I was what? playing around with Microsoft Teams, actually. I noticed it was in the menu hmm. added in Catalina. And uh, i do not sure hmm. when it came out, but... Um, you can, so you can have it on the left hand side and you can load up your Outlook on the other side. So presumably you could do the same thing, like have Teams and, and, uh, Xcode or something side by side rather than, you know, separate, you know, tiled windows sitting on top of each other, right? Tiled, and you get the same split down the middle. You do, the, you know, the, you can pull and make it narrower and wider.
2: Do you think that's just a Microsoft implementation or is it built in uh, the I don't know. Mac I've Mac only
1: OS. seen it in the Microsoft world right now. Yeah.
2: Um, I don't, I'm looking in Safari right now and I don't, and I don't see it. Yeah. I'm not a so big, I... I'm not a big, um,
1: not a big uh, full screen viewer kind of person like I don't like to run my apps in full screen mode but it yeah. kind of does that it throws it into full screen mode and then everything else becomes full screen mode so, but but like I guess in full screen mode you can't have a second app beside it right which is I guess on a big monitor would be something people would want mm-hmm. So I just I discovered it by accident a couple of days ago yeah so I'm looking at safari if you look under window there's window tile window to the left of the screen tile window to the right of the screen you don't see that in which app in, in safari I'm on the mac right I'm on Catalina 1015.4. 10, 15,
2: oh, I'm not on
1: this. Yeah, I think it's I think it's ten. I think it's the dot four implementation that added this. Yeah, so I basically presumably could move my my Safari window to the left hand side uh-huh. of the screen and leave the other side of the screen for another app altogether. Right? That's new.
3: Yeah, I can't follow along either because I'm on ten fifteen three. <laughs> and spoilers for something that's going to come up. I've specifically not updated certain things because I'm afraid of what if it goes wrong and I need Apple to help me no. out
1: and they can't. Ah, oh, you gotta live on the edge, I guess. I don't know. I'm not sure when that when it appeared, but I just noticed it uh, today, actually, on my other Mac, my work Mac. All right, cool stuff. Mm-hmm, and she also wants, yeah. What else do you want here? Yeah, we covered. She she gave us some interesting ideas last year before WWDC. I, I can't forget if we went back and looked and saw how uh, how much of her wish list came true. But there you have it all right okay well the next uh, article here is uh something i picked up on linkedin and it was talking about we've been talking about obviously working from home and i think that uh, i think you know there's been some of announcements like today in fact in in ontario uh, the minister of education said that uh, school will not be returning uh this year to like grade schools whatever will not be returning you know, as of june like they thought uh, perhaps you know they would sometime in june the kids might be going back to school but so in the same sense here uh i think we've I think we're becoming resigned to the fact that we're probably going to be working from home for a while um, it's May 20th now and you know we're a couple of weeks away from June um, and uh, large companies are now saying last week we talked about Twitter saying that they were going to be fully um, I think you said in perpetuity right they were just going to continue working yeah permanently working that's a
2: Twitter site yeah. Yeah.
1: Amazon is yeah. is also extending its work from home policy Facebook most employees will be able to work from home uh, Microsoft continues to work from home Slack works from home, Zillow working from home. So, yeah, so that uh, I think because, you know, practically going back and sitting next to each other in an office, um, you know, uh, again, I attended another presentation today where they talked about, you know, putting copper on the door handles and Uh staggering where people can sit at a desk and uh and obviously, you know, people who don't need to go back into the office don't go back in, right? So and there's temperature checks and masks and you know, all that kind of uh stuff that's become you know, frequent cleaning, that's another thing, like how are they gonna keep these offices clean and how are you gonna sit in the cafeteria, you know. So
2: or the public restrooms, which are the hot topic these days. I mean I guess they're not public at the office, but yeah, yeah. They're still reasonably
1: public. Yeah, I saw a plan where they would put lights on the on the outside of the wall. bathrooms to sort of show whether they were vacant or not. So, like, you'd see, like, a red or green light, kind of like you do on an airplane, you know, where you have the vacant vacancy kind of thing, so you would know from a distance whether or not to approach, right? So, yeah, it's, it's going to be, it's it's going to change until, until we have a decent vaccine, it's going to change quite a bit. So, I think, and I think that, you know, it's been a great lesson for a lot of companies that they, now that they had to work from home, that they can work from home or they can work remote.
3: Yeah, and fun fact, uh, Jack Dorsey is not only the CEO of Twitter, he's also the CEO of Square, wow. and Square also announced that it will allow folks to work permanently for money. Really? Hmm. Um, yeah. I, I would say, for folks who are in that situation, because people are like, oh, wait, so I can get my Bay Area salary and, and not live in the Bay Area? You might want to check and make sure with your company that that's okay um, because there are uh, tax and legal ramifications about having people in, I'm talking here in the United States, people in different states. So at least, you know, be upfront and, and have that conversation because I understand why you might want to move to you know Austin and get like a 30-some percent pay raise just from doing that. Um, you want to make sure that your company is actually set up to de- handle that from an HR or an accounting standpoint. Um, larger companies like like a Twitter that might have already had offices in other places yeah. are probably okay, but I'd say it's worth it to just check, right?
1: I think there is a cost of living adjustment that most large companies make to, you know, depending on where, where you are, like what office you're in, right? Like if in the conventional sense, right? So I'm sure that applies here. And I do know that a lot of companies, American companies, you know, they shy away from hiring Canadians to work, you know, remotely because of the whole difference in terms of how benefits are paid out, right? Like, you know, 401k versus RSPs and, and healthcare, you know, Ontario. In Ontario, we have, you know, coverage through our taxes, whereas, you know, in the States, you have to, you know, the employee and the company have to split the bill on healthcare, right? Services.
3: Hmm. That, that, that very could be, you know. Very jokingly say it probably also has something to do with the holidays of these yeah. sneaky Canadians yeah. taking Canadian holidays, American holidays, and British holidays yeah. for un- unknown reasons. Yeah. Just collecting them all. Yeah, that's
1: true. That's another another angle too. And yeah, and yeah. How do you, how do you deal with that too? Right? So, like we have we have the corporation I work for. We have some people in the states and some in Canada. And so like you know like this week this month mu- this past weekend was our our Victoria Day, which is celebrating the birth of. You Victoria so we get a day off and then next Monday coming up you guys have Memorial Day right so the, the Americans were working on Monday and, and the Canadians weren't and then next week the, the Americans will be off and the Canadians will be working. Most, a lot of times we have like you know a long weekend on the same weekend but n- things like you know Thanksgiving are different times of the year right so mm-hmm. uh, they, mm-hmm. they create uh, issues for people um, even in the same same time zone right. All right and then uh, following up on that uh, same sort of idea sort of follow up on, on COVID um, Apple we talked a bit I think we talked a bit about Apple uh, starting their approach to returning to um, office like in the case of uh, hardware engineers and that kind of stuff but uh, the Apple stores um, at 25 locations in the US will start to, to slowly open um, stores in, in uh, Ontario or in Toronto or yeah in Ontario I guess uh, were allowed to open as of today, um, or as of, sorry, as, of, as of this past Tuesday yesterday I guess um, Monday was a holiday as I said before but only. Only stores that have a street-level access, and they're limiting the number of people who can be inside the store at any point in time. So, you know, if you got to go to the Genius Bar, you got to take your computer into Apple uh, for repair. I believe they're doing a curbside pickup too. If you want to order and, and pick up a product, you know, you can arrive at the store with your appointed time to pick up and and grab that you know power power adapter or dongle that you need. Um, yeah, but I think a lot of people who are, who have wanted to get their their computers looked at or their phones repaired or going to have to uh, have to wait. So there's a list here uh, in this article that I've got linked on the show. notes from nine to five about the stores that are going to be opening up. Uh, let's see which one's close to Mark.
2: Uh, none of them, I think. <laughs> yeah, I know we're we're uh, a little bit uh, lagging. A lot of other places because uh, Santa Clara County, where I am, is one of the still one of the hotter spots. Oh, and is it? Yeah. Although it's gotten it's getting better, but it's still still not great. So they're being extra careful. Well, Monterey's
1: not too far from you, right?
2: Yeah, it's about an hour and a half. Yeah.
1: Oh, is wow so yeah, yeah. that sacramento is opening that's a, that's a couple of hours away right and then monterey yeah, yeah not much for you and then in washington we've got jeez See, oh, pretty much Seattle, all the ones you, I could you, think University of. Village store. I went to that one actually.
3: Like the only the 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 one that's sort of weirdly different than the others from where I have, that is definitely not in the Seattle area is the River Park Square one in Spokane. Oh, okay. Otherwise, the Tacoma, Tukwila, Bellevue, Linwood, and Seattle are in the Seattle oh, okay. area. Okay,
1: okay, right. I went to mm-hmm. the University Village one back in 2010. Back when I...
3: oh, they can. Compl- I think they completely tore it down and rebuilt it. It's uh, nicer oh, okay. now. I think, right. but. Who would know? I haven't gone there because I didn't have reasons to, and now I can't. Well, I guess now I can, you know, starting, oh, this past Monday. So I can, maybe I can upgrade my Mac without being too fearful that, like, I have no recourse. a couple
1: of weeks ago, I um, posted a picture of myself at the Apple store with some anniversary. Um, So I have a picture of me in front of the old, I guess, University Village store in Apple. I think it was, was that the first store in Seattle? Mm, Maybe. Yeah, it was there for um, Voices of Matter back in the day. All right. Yeah. So, you know, Arkansas. California, Washington, Florida, Colorado, Hawaii, and Oklahoma so far. I don't think, uh, in the, like in the case of the Canadian stores, um, all of our Apple stores are inside large malls, and all of our malls are still closed for obvious reasons. So, Although the Apple store in, at the Eaton Center is very close to the uh, subway, so I'm surprised that it's still closed. All right. I mean, there's a subway station underneath the mall that that one's in. So what do we got here? Some big leaky news. I mean.
3: Yeah. You remember John Prosser, yeah. who pretty much nailed everything related to the iPhone SE, uh, the new iPhone SE uh, release, um, claims here that he has seen prototypes of the Apple glasses, the famed augmented reality glasses, mm-hmm. and that uh, supposedly um, there will be a reveal in uh, Q4 of 2020 or perhaps Q1, uh, first quarter of 2021, with a release quite a bit later in the fourth quarter of 2021 or... Or first quarter 2022 very similar i think to the way that the apple watch was announced three to six months before it actually shipped up to people my memory is really bad but i do remember it being quite a gap between announcements at a, a like a keynote type event versus actually shipping it in people's hands mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so according to this this will be um sort of apple's take on what folks might remember that google glass from google tried to do and sort of flamed out in terms of any consumer usage and as uh, apparently seen some success in, um, uh, commercial and industrial usages. Mm-hmm. Uh, as an example, this pair of glasses, besides doing, uh, the sort of the, the fancy augmented reality display in front of your eyes, you know, on the glass of the glasses, uh, this one doesn't have a front facing camera, which was a definitely a big sore point for people who were around the Google glass enthusiasts. And in its place is supposedly a LIDAR sensor, perhaps very similar to the, the new iPad pros LIDAR, um, that will power the way that the augmented reality features work, and, and and supposedly we'll even be able to interpret gestures that are performed in front of the glasses, and supposedly there will be gestures on the glasses themselves, presumably similar to the way that they work for um, the AirPods, where you can uh, use touch gestures to change volume and etc. Okay.
1: So I don't know about the four ninety nine price tag though. Don't you think it should be three forty nine? This 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 is not an audio medium unless <laughs> you know it doesn't stay here unless it you know has um, bone control. Conductive sound, you know, that's a yeah, possible. Yeah. No, just our favorite number is 349. So, so I don't know if there's a linked article there that talks about his uh, John Prosser's success. So, the Apple Glass obviously being one of them. He, iPhone 12, he's already, we were talking about his stuff a couple of weeks ago. Um, as you mentioned, iOS 14 stuff. He's got the AirPods uh, Studio, I think we talked about last week, right? Um, he's also got, he's calling AirPower again, Mark. Um, mm-hmm. And he's got some coronavirus related, related leaks. Uh, and then he released uh, information about the iPhone SE, as you mentioned before, PowerBeats 4, and then uh, I think he was behind the, the leak for the MacBook 13 as well. Same guy, let's see. Yeah, same guy, John Prosser. Yeah.
3: He he's definitely builds, in a very short period of time, a, a pretty interesting resume with regards to, seems like he's at the inside scoop, and yeah. um, for him to know things that uh, it appears as if data is processed on your iPhone, so it seems like it'll have a relationship very similar to the way the
1: watch works as a sort of a satellite accessory to your phone. Yeah. We'll have to sort of follow him on Twitter and see what, what comes out in the next little while.
2: So now that there are standalone watch apps, will you be able to use the glasses, sorry, the glass, <laughs> as a as an accessory to the watch with no mm. iPhone involved? I no wonder. Mm-hmm. Glasses OS. Yeah, Glass OS. Glass OS. <laughs> glass OS. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. So what, what do you think it'll cost with this a prescription lens? That's the trick.
3: You can get prescription at a pretty decent price. Uh, so I have have my doubts that it will be only four ninety nine. Yeah. I'm like, is is that the sixteen gig yeah, edition? Because yeah. <laughs> that's definitely not going to be the one that has you know the one terabyte of storage on it. That's for sure. You know, the the LTE version that can that can stream um, you know videos in front of my face while I'm on a run. Mm-hmm. So um, I mean, I think four ninety nine is a pretty outstanding price if they can bring it to that level. Like I know it, I know it sounds like a lot of money, and I'm not seeing, especially in the in these times, that it, that it's not a, a fair trade change, but think about the, the kind of technology that's being thrown in here and the form factor it has to fit into from a miniaturization perspective. Um, I, I, I think 499 seems to There's cheap. a lighter
1: angle here about um, like an AR kind of experience? Is that what we're thinking?
3: Yeah, I, I think since it doesn't have the camera in front to do you know image uh, visual-based processing of images to do AR, they can use the LiDAR similar to the, the way that it works on an iPad Pro, um, figure out where things are in space and, and get the texture map,
2: yeah, or, or the way a lot of cars use that for uh collision detection stuff. They can find out what's around you by by shooting out the the uh, the laser instead of mm-hmm. instead of using instead of using video.
1: Interesting. By
3: comparison, the Google Glass, I think it launched at like one thousand five hundred when it came out in uh, two thousand thirteen. So having it be four ninety nine, you know, seven years later is that would be pretty impressive from a pricing standpoint. Well, we'll
1: see what see what happens. I only ever saw one guy with Google last in, in real life? I know about you guys.
3: I think two. It wasn't super common in the Seattle area. I got a chance to try it on and it's pretty nifty. You know, the, the, the problems weren't necessarily technical with it. I think Google, in my opinion, didn't do a great job of managing what it was as a product. And I think you'll see a very different sort of thing, hopefully a very different sort of thing from Apple.
1: Yeah, it reminds me, of, I saw a, a video of Steve Jobs talking about how um, it's hard to make technology that people want. Want. You know, you can make all kinds of tech. You can try and make technology and get get people to try and buy it, but yeah, making it making what they want is, is difficult. All right, I don't have a, mm-hmm. I don't have any links mm-hmm. for this next post, but um, I saw an article that Facebook is going to get into shops now in their on their platform. I don't know if you guys have heard anything about that at all, or have an opinion on it. Like, I I wonder if they are they competing
2: to- against Amazon? You mean?
3: No, I'm thinking Shopify. Oh, for small businesses. Oh, yeah, see. that's what I thought it was. Like a Shopify mm-hmm. play. Uh,
1: well, Shopify doing really well, right? So, and Facebook's already got like, you know, billions of, of users, right? All right. We'll have to keep an eye on that one.
3: So they've, they've got Instagram shop as well. So that makes sense to make use of their conglomerate ownership of other do things. Do they have Instagram shop already? It's what it says here. When I looked up, uh, I just searched for Facebook shop and the first result was from Facebook's mm-hmm. newsroom. So introducing Facebook shops, Instagram shop, live shopping features. Like it looks like you can do um, like live like, video. Oh, like shopping channel? You know, like, like Facebook live. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like a. Q- VC thing. And then apparently you can also connect loyalty programs to your Facebook account, which definitely makes sense. Oh, they're working with partners like Shopify, BigCommerce. Oh, they are working with Shopify.
2: Ooh. So they'll probably yes. buy Shopify then.
3: Yeah. <laughs> like an a frenemy competition,
1: let just acquire
3: yeah. so or Shopify yeah.
1: stock today. What do you think? Mm. I
2: don't know.
1: <laughs> it's pretty expensive, actually, Shopify. It's, is it? Yeah. $700, I think. Okay,
2: But what, what's the PE ratio?
1: The huh? <laughs> the price to
3: earnings oh, ratio. Well, the
2: the uh, we've been through this before. Mm-hmm. The actual just price is not enough information yeah. to tell you whether a stock is actually expensive.
1: Right. Oh, I see.
2: If if the absolute price is high, just buy fewer shares. It's it's. But it, the value of the company is is how much that price corresponds to how much it's actually worth. Uh, now, I mean, you can argue it's worth exactly what the price is on the on the market. But but there's a certain uh, there's a certain value of the company uh, based on how much sales and how much uh, profit it makes. Uh, and there's certain ratios of the stock price. To that which which kind of give you a rough estimate on on whether it's selling for uh, a high price relative to other stocks of comparable value. Mm-hmm. So just I mean just saying a stock costs thousand dollars is is not a meaningful number because there might only be ten shares out there, and then you if you buy one of those shares you own ten percent of the company. Right. But if there's a but if there's a billion shares at a thousand dollars, well then that's a very different story. But you're still spending a thousand dollars per share.
1: Yeah. Well, through this whole COVID thing since April they've. they've Gone from eight hundred twenty to a thousand bucks, right? So that's quite a climb.
2: Wonder about
3: it. I didn't find the PE ratio because I'm not sure where one normally easily finds that. Because Google has a big blank minus six sixty four ninety one, whatever that means.
2: Yeah, that means they're not making any money; they're losing money.
3: Okay. So market cap of eighty three point six billion. Yeah.
2: So what? Mar- so market pa- market cap is a good number. So what market cap market cap is the actual value that the stock market prices on the the entire set of, of shares that are. Out there. So, what the stock market thinks the company is actually worth, and so the way you get that number is you take the share price. Very easy. You take the share price and number, multiply it by the number of shares on the market. That's the market cap. So, so if the market cap, I'm looking at uh, the Google listing for Shopify right now, and it's got a market cap of 83 billion dollars right now. Uh, now, is that a good number or not? Well, we got to find out some more. Let's see.
1: You're looking at the American price, I guess. Right. Sorry. You guys are looking at the American numbers, I guess. I was like,
2: yeah, was yeah. So, okay. So I'm looking at the financials tab in Google now. Oh yeah. I wouldn't buy, personally, I wouldn't buy Shopify stock
1: right now. Yeah. No, most of the Tell recommendations you why. are
2: saying hold. Yeah, Let me explain why. Their revenue is 470 million mm-hmm. and their market cap is 83 billion. So that means that, that people, the, the, the stock is selling for, what is it? A uh, hundred something like women. I, I got it. I need a calculator because the the numbers are so big. Let's see. 83. Yeah. It's rebellion divided by 470... Million, yeah. So the the uh, stock is selling for 177 times the total income of the company. Think about that. So they make they make a 470 million dollars a year. So how many years would they have to operate to make the money that the stock market is saying it's worth? They'd have to they'd have to operate for 177 years (laughs) at that level. And their net income is minus 31 million dollars. So they're losing money every time. So they make 470 million in in sales. and their expenses are five hundred million. So you do that for one hundred seventy-seven years, and they're really quickly out of business. <laughs> right, right. So, so now, for from fundamentals, this is not a strong company at all. Really bad. Now, why do any? Why does anyone pay that much money for the stock? Well, some of it might just be hype.
1: I think it's hype because of the last couple of but, months. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. But but uh, the main reason people do this though is that they expect the company is going to grow so much that that four. 70 million is going to turn into, you know, 4.7 billion and then 47 billion and then 470 billion or whatever the numbers are mm. over the next few years. So all of a sudden that 83 billion uh, valuation suddenly is a much better, better looking thing. So yeah, it's hard to say. It's hard to say. Right, right. I still think it, to me, it looks pretty expensive though right now.
1: Yeah. But coming back to, especially
2: the, cause we don't, come, we don't know where the economy's going. Coming
1: back to what we were talking about, we were talking about yeah. uh, Facebook, right? So, yep. so they're saying setting up a shop is free using the Facebook Merchant agreements they'll uh, like 5% transaction fee on sales of goods so I mean it's a it's a like a crazy option right like easy to get into and, and Facebook will make a lot of money because a lot of people will sell a lot because I mean they've already doing that now with their market thing right they've got this sort of offer up kind of idea right in, in there for trading bits and pieces right? I think Jaime. Yep. A lot of it makes sense to me. Like
3: on on the, the surface of it, like I'm kind of market that like there might be a little bit of overhype of you know what will happen and, and what ends up going sort of forward. It, it sort of depends, I think, whether you end up believing that uh, this is just a, a pandemic bump or if there will be. I'm not about Facebook. I'm not talking about the cliche chop up Yeah, but it, it's related, right? Because um, it's not like Facebook just woke up and said, "Hey, we should make this partnership and make this thing." Right? right? Uh, it, it, there'd have to be some 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 thought to it. And even if they could rapidly put this together, um, you'd have to think of like, all right, well, y- is the, the hockey puck going towards ever more and, and maybe even rapidly gaining towards, um, you know, online share
2: of the, the retail market? Yeah, And, and I can see that. And, and I should point out, again, the the price of the stock and, and whether a stock is a good investment or a good stock to buy is to some degree diff- a different story than is the company a good company and is it a good business? Right, yeah. Because the company itself doesn't determine the stock. It could be a great business and, and still be an expensive stock to buy as an investment, mm-hmm. which this may very well be. And by the way, I was I was actually kind of pessimistic because I, that 470 million was a quarterly number, not a yearly number. So right. it's not as bad as I said. Okay. It's not 176. Divide that by four. I was worried about it's my about, over still about 40 yeah, times, okay. so it's right. not so bad. Yeah, <laughs> not as bad. Still bad, but not as bad. Right. So their price to sales ratio is about 40, where usually for a growth company, you know, it's like ten, right? Okay, yeah. So it's expensive. Okay, but you know, it might be because people think that Facebook is going to buy them, or they might think that because Facebook is getting into the market that it's a it's a really good business right. with a lot of growth. Yep. So
3: yep. it's tricky. There it was uh, a lot of excitement about AMC theaters and its stock related to rumors that Amazon was looking to buy them. Mm. So who, who knows? It, it could be a whole bunch of things. I did notice that Shopify did just have an online conference of some sort, and they, they it looks like they're extending their reach on the kind of ways they can draw in revenue. It looks like they've added a um, a debit card for merchants who can um, more easily and more quickly gain access to their funds that they've earned through Shopify. That'll be that'll be something interesting to watch there. Uh, I think you might think of it as being comparable to Uber who had had their own, um, I think it was a debit card. Maybe it was a credit card. I'm not sure. But trying to get folks to sort of keep money in the system and not have to interchange it to other banks.
1: By the way, you didn't talk about Uber and the 7,000 people they just laid off, right? Yeah. A pretty big number.
3: It's rough. And they actually put up um, a website with uh, a listing of all right, the people yeah, who had right. presumably shared their info of like, hey, here's talented people who are looking for new jobs, and here's their LinkedIn profile and GitHub and etc.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Scary times. All right. Let's move on to our picks for this week. So, Hermey, what do you got for us?
3: I got a couple of picks. So, one is by friend of the show and, uh, and now published author, Rob Whitaker. We'd, we'd mentioned him in his book on designing or uh, inclusivity in mobile apps. And he's got like, a pretty good article here about uh, tips for writing great iOS accessibility labels. So not just, you know, making it technically capable, but also really honing and crafting what sorts of things mm-hmm. would you put on there. Uh, like an example, um, uh, don't end your your controls label with a, a period. Apparently this um, adds a sort of emphasis that you would not want if you were navigating through the uh, the uh, the voice UI right? and uh, keeping it uh, uh, succinct and not adding element types. Like don't, you know, don't add, you know, button, like the word, you know, play button, because then voiceover says play button button, which is understandably irritating right. and superfluous. And uh, apparently not just for, for voiceover, you can, it ends up impacting the way that um, the voice control works. So it's, it's a good read. It's pretty, pretty snappy. It looks like it's part of a whole series on this blog here at uh, mo- uh, mobile a 11 ycom So A11y, the pretty common shorthand for accessibility, right. which ironically is a very inaccessible way of describing accessibility. <laughs> I don't know about that one. I mean, it's pretty common, right? Like localization is L8N, Kubernetes is K8S. People just just say what it is. It's, it's, we got words. Use it. Mm-hmm. Uh Not not to be very clear, Not to big on Rob, that is a very common. Uh, yeah,
2: I see that, and I usage. read mobile ally. What does that mean? Yeah, have you heard yeah. A16Z or yeah, A16Z? For Anderson, right? Yeah, yeah,
3: right. The venture capitalist firm. Right. Yep. So that's a, a little bit of a, weird, What is it?
2: A17N for Instrumentation or A thirteen N whatever the number of letters are for instrumentation.
3: I uh, believe you. I didn't know that yeah. one.
1: Yeah. No, mm-hmm. no figure. All right. What's your next pick? The Uber.
3: That's <laughs> another one I have here. This other link, uh, re- kind of related to the Uber thing we're talking mm-hmm. about, is you know, you know we've seen tons of layoffs, uh, even hitting the tech industry. And so this article is by um, Tomer Tuner Turner Trarring, and is this about you know tips for how to prepare for losing your programming job. Mm-hmm. Right? Some some things you might want to just really sit down and, and consider about you know having money in the bank and things like y- how much of your value and your comp is is based on stock in your own company and, and what are the risks there for you know double dipping into the, the risk pile of having your compensation and you know stock-based earnings coming from your company. Your risk profile will vary. you should definitely uh, take some professional consideration around that. But there's you know, other useful things here like making your future job hunt easier by uh, I think through no surprise, knowing lots of people, having useful skills and visibly demonstrating you have those skills, right? But there's there's more practical advice than just the sort of pithy statements here of like, hey, like, you know, join communities. Um, you can't go out to meetups right now, but you can attend virtual meetups. You can do uh, you know, public Slack channels. Uh, you can build your skills by you know, just spending uh, an hour a week getting up to date on the latest technologies. If you're listening to this very podcast, hey, you're partway there, right? You're learning about new technologies that, and their availability uh, and also creating visible proof of those uh, conference talks blogging and open source right. so just things for think- people to think about and also think about your your fallback plans of you know what happens if things don't turn out the way you'd like them to are, are you prepared you know can you cut costs that maybe you don't need at the moment yeah so it's kind of a it's an unfortunate pick I'm not gonna say this one makes me super happy but I do think it was no, we're important for
2: folks we're not ending on a happy note here no
1: well maybe
2: maybe Tim yeah, we're not Tim, done yet that's true <laughs> <laughs> Tim Maybe you have a pick that can. Well, so there.
1: yeah, I was uh, ranting uh, this, this weekend. We were tr- Carol and I've been having some trouble with with our Apple Music. Um, as you know, we we generally run with one Apple ID between the two of us, and we've done that for years. And um, uh, I noticed the other day I was I was on a Zoom call and I was providing the musical soundtrack for our little get together, and I was using Apple Music plugged into my iPhone, patched into my my uh, PA here, and um, and every you know ten seconds or so or fifteen seconds or so, Apple Music would pop up and say that another another device was using my account. I'm like, well, that's odd, and I kept, it would pause the music and didn't dawn on me at the time to sort of check with Carol because she was standing in a grocery line waiting to go into a grocery store and she had her iPhone with her and she was you know listening to Apple Music and so it turned out that we were both trying to use the same account at the same time and we'd never seen this this message come up before because I mean I rarely use Apple Music to be honest with you. Um, she's more of a consumer of it than, than that. So I was ranting about the fact that, you know, considering the amount of money that we've laid out for HomePods in the last couple of months, um, you know, you would think that there might be some sort of a, a, a break or whatever on, on listening to music, because I mean, part of the reason why we got into Apple Music was because we have, you know, years and years of CDs burned and ripped and sitting on a, a server here at home that we don't use anymore because now we're using Apple Music, and so um, you know, and, and you know I'm a big fan of the death by a thousand cuts of, of subscribing to all these small micro services here, there and everywhere. Um, but that said, so Paul Wilkinson, I think, I think he's in Australia. He was listening to my concerns. And so he sent me a, an article here, which I thought was interesting on, on how to use multiple iPod, Apple HomePods, uh, in comprehensive guide, um, back in, or produced back in March. And we talked about some of this before, like, you know, if you have two, uh, like Mark, you have two of them and you have them made up as a I stereo do. pair, which yes. so you get the phenomenal sound. And i I tried that on mine, but uh, our HomePods live on different floors of the house. Um, mm. You can You know Of course You know we've, we've named One kitchen One office So you can direct uh, Music to be played Everywhere Or music to be played In one room And a different track To be played In another room You can do that With your home pods As well um, So you can have Multiple rooms um, How do you Siri devices This is one Carol Well f- it's funny She'll she'll whisper To her phone When she wants To start a timer On her phone Because uh, she finds That you know the, the home pod In the kitchen Listens to her Sometimes And so she sort of discovers this way of, of you know it, the way it works according to the article here is is they're all all of the series are listening to you and the one that is most suitable to deal with whatever you're requesting is the one that will respond. Like for instance, the HomePod doesn't tend to do uh, Google searches very well or searches on the web very well. So the the watches and the phones tend to do that. But again, if you're playing music or something like that or setting a timer, the, the HomePod will sometimes pick up and, and do that. So it's kind of tricky to you know to be able to address you know followed by the word Siri to a device. And when you've got three devices, that will respond to that, right? So that's kind of interesting. Um, you could also have your Siri or, sorry, yeah, you can have your HomePods recognize you, you as different people as well. So we could uh, tailor it so that Carol's voice, you know, it'll recognize Carol versus me. Uh, we haven't actually done that, but you can do that. So you can have multi, multiple users um, using a, a HomePod. Unfortunately, you can only have one Apple ID connected to uh, a HomePod at a time, which is another uh, tricky point. Um yeah and then uh, you can also have HomePods in different houses you can't use them as an intercom which is something you can do on the uh, on the uh, Echo I don't know if you have tried that on your Echo Jaime, but you can actually communicate through from one your from your phone running the uh, Amazon Echo app to your Amazon Echo in the house and a friend of mine does that with his his kids he uh, frequently messages them that dinner is ready and that kind of stuff with with his Echos mm-hmm. yeah intercom yeah. functionality right and uh, yeah apparently you can have HomePod in here Siri in two different houses as well, hmm. you can invite people to have, to come and join your house too. Yeah, well, so cool stuff. A lot of times, what I will do, like like you know, we've talked about Spotify not being on on the um, the HomePod, but even when I'm listening to things like our podcasts, you know, with a podcast app, if I'm doing dishes in the kitchen, I'll I'll hold my phone over top of the HomePod, and it instantly transfers the stream to the HomePod, so you get the better sound coming off the HomePod as well. So I'll do that sometimes if I'm listening to Spotify or if I'm listening to a podcast or an audiobook I'll you know I'll, I'll have the HomePod. Pick up the audio from I did that with a Strombo app on the weekend actually too um, you know so rather than just listening to the app itself you can have it if you ha- if you have AirPlay built into the app of course you can have it play on on your HomePod so that's kind of cool no, that's cool and you can have as many HomePods on an Apple ID as you like too, according to Apple here so doesn't answer my problem about the Apple Apple Music I'll probably have to bite the bullet and get a family plan or something like that but uh, yeah we already have we already have family plan for a cloud so I, I don't know I'm not sure why they're they're billing me on different accounts too but that's another story and. Anywho, um, yeah, so that's that. And uh, another friend of mine is uh, Vaughn uh, uh, Patrick. He's a um, another fellow past uh, a member of the Apple uh, Consultant Network, um, which I don't know if it's still around anymore. But uh, his his uh, website is at your server, and uh, he posts articles on um, on LinkedIn and Facebook and stuff like that. And uh, this was just kind of an interesting one that, that uh, I know I looked at this last couple of weeks ago. And uh, something you might want to do from time to time is you may have shared your. Location Location with somebody on your phone, um, and uh, so he suggests uh, from time to time you might want to check and see who's who's uh, uh, checking your phone. So I had some strange guy named Greg who lives down in the valley was was uh, able to follow my location, probably because back in the day we were sharing locations. And somebody I went to WWDC with last year, uh, I was sharing my location with her. But yeah, so if you open the Find My um, app on your on your phone, it was Find My iPhone. It used to be called, but Find My Find My app on either of your phone or your iPad, you can see who you're sharing your location with and it's a table row of, uh, of contacts that you've got connected to you to your phone. You can just, you know, swipe to the left and uh, hit the delete button to remove anybody that you don't want following your phone. So yeah, check that out if you've ever had your location shared. Maybe you were meeting up with somebody or what have you. i to turn that preference on. And that's it for me this week.
3: Um, I will admit that when you had texted us about your problem, I was like, what can <laughs> possibly be the case? I swear, like in my mind, it was like, I very clearly have had that playing in multiple locations. It turns out it not I, yeah. I might've used different devices. We've used my iPhone to play Apple music. I've used my home pod and, and very rarely have used my iPad to play music, but apparently never at the same time using the same Apple ID. So when I sat and thought about it, I was like, Oh yeah, they probably would want you to have a family sharing plan. I and mean, I
1: wonder too, since we hadn't seen this, when I mean, we've had the, the home pods for months now, since like, uh, when I bought them last year in black, black Friday, right? Um, I wonder if uh, this alert is new in, in uh, 13.4, right? No, because I've hadn't. i never seen it before. And I, and, and I can't imagine, like I said, it's, it's kind of an odd circumstance now because, um, you know, uh, like when you can't go to a grocery store, you can't just walk up to a grocery store and walk in. You have to line up outside, you know, to get into them. So uh, what else is she going to do? She checks her email and she listens to some music or she, you know, I've downloaded some audiobooks for her to listen to too as well. But yeah, I mean, it's a pretty rare circumstance that, you know, I'll fire up. Apple Music at the same time that she'll uh, she'll be using it, but uh, yeah, I'd never never seen that that message until recently. Mind you, I should say that you know sometimes she'll be playing music in the kitchen and then she'll take the dog for a walk, and all of a sudden, and I'll be in the kitchen, you know, working on a computer or doing dishes or whatever, and all of a sudden the HomePod will just stop. And usually it's because she's transferred. Uh, I, I didn't didn't dawn on me until I thought about it. She's transferred the audio to her phone. You know, she's picking up where she left off on the phone, and and uh, and I just you know I often wondered why. The HomePod did that. I normally listen to like CBC Radio using um, TuneIn Radio on my on my HomePod. Right, that's most mostly what I do. But like I said, it's pretty rare that I that I actually run Apple Music myself. But yeah, yeah. It, it just it it's just odd that it you know never dawned on us that that's what was happening. Because the the problem with the HomePod, there's no alerts, right? So it can't it can't pop up and say hey, can't do that. It'll tell you if it can't find something, but it like it won't pop up There's no way to pop up an alert and say hey, this is happening, right? Whereas on the phones, it can, right? In the case of my phone, like last week when I was on the Zoom call, I was using my phone so I could see the alert pop up and say another device was using your account. And I'm thinking like, well, my Mac's not running Apple Music and what could it possibly be, right? So. I guess that's it for another week. So until next time, until hey, next week it's episode three thousand. No, sorry. (laughs) Got got ahead of myself. (laughs) Episode three hundred next week. So hey, how many people want to get in touch with you? Before episode 300 what would they do? I'm on Twitter as at Dev of the Hair. And Mark, if people want to get in touch with you. Mark
2: R at Smapsoft.com.
1: All right. My name is Timitra. T-I-M-M-I-T-R-A. On the Twitter machine is where you'll find me. So until next next week, we'll say bye-bye. Bye.
0: Bye. This has been another episode of the More Than Just Code podcast. This is friend of the show, Mike Van If you want to find out more about the show, you can visit the More Than Just Code website at mtjc.fm. There you can find a summary and show notes of each episode. We list links to the apps, code, and news that we mentioned on the show. If you like the podcast, tell your friends. Please leave a comment on the website, and if you can, please write a review on iTunes. And please recommend us in your favorite podcatcher. All of these things help others find out about the show. We really appreciate your help with spreading the word. We're also on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. We'd love to hear from you, so use the hashtag AskMTJC. Once again, the podcast's Twitter account is at MTJC underscore podcast. Please consider supporting the show by pledging any amount on patreon.com slash MTJC. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next time.
3: you getting your getting your, uh, your yacht sorted out so that when spotify gives us a big old deal too we'll be living large socially what? distant on our separate yachts what the same <laughs> what you, do you not you see about? that joe rogan joe, joe rogan reference. signed like a hundred million dollars some crazy you know lots of millions of dollars deal with spotify
1: well, joe rogan like the actor joe rogan who's joe rogan
3: yeah he's been a, a ufc commentator he's a
1: comedian right oh you mean, oh yes right you mean oh yeah he's starting a new podcast, right? I think he
2: was moving it over. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's taking his podcast exclusively to yeah, Spotify. Yeah, licensing that. deal worth more than hundred million bucks. Wow! How do we get that right? deal? That's a Rod money. I don't know. Yeah, yeah.
1: I don't know. I figure. I figure if there's if there's a, a large bag of money to be made, it's not going to be coming to us. You know, we just we.
2: Yeah. Somehow, I think you need a larger audience than iOS well, developers. In, in our, as much as we love our iOS developer yeah, audience, yeah, and our numbers are going down. I mean, like
1: they're. they're going, I I keep watching them go down. I don't know if it, I don't know if it's like this pandemic. I think you know we we should be. starting Starting to see the other side of the pandemic now that you know people have gotten used to working from home, right? So
3: I mean, maybe you know, media is useful for things like commutes. So we miss out on people who would have listened to commuting. Yeah. They ain't doing that anymore. So now no, you're looking I mean, but, at people but, doing I mean, chores. S-
1: Sixteen million developers, or something like that. Like, it's not like we have a small, small ocean of uh, possibly interested people,
2: right? Well, rem- remember, we didn't get the run up to WWDC this year. For the job. Mm, we didn't true.
1: have that. Yeah, do- our WWDC coverage is usually pretty good. Yeah, in terms of numbers. Yeah,
2: and I mean. You know everything. You know people lose interest in everything over time, right? I mean,
1: well, that's the other thing. We're also competing with you know we're also competing with like everybody and his cousin's got a podcast now, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, so when we started, we were like one of a handful of people. Like you know, there were nobody was covering Swift, and you know, there was a few tech podcasts around. A lot of them have gone away, right? A lot of a lot of the people we were sort of being compared with back in our early days are gone, and now it's now it's people like Paul Hudson, and you know john sundell and and um you know people, guys who all came up while we were doing this right mm. they jumped on the swift bandwagon and they, they rode that wave right whereas we you know we're the stalwarts with the objective c support <laughs> I blame all the uh, the very good and
3: sometimes free deals for things like Disney Plus and CBS All yeah. Access. Oh, you know, be, my yeah, there's lots of other stuff to do. Yeah, stuff that you wouldn't have had access to before. Yeah, But
2: I've, but it is true that the lack of commutes is probably affecting it a bit. You can't yeah, watch Disney so. in the car but you can listen to a podcast in the car. Yeah, I think so. And nobody's driving in their cars, even at home right now. Yeah. Well, they are <laughs> driving in their cars at home. <laughs> Yeah, for
1: sure. Yeah. I
3: hadn't really thought about the fact that for those of you driving at home was like so much more.
1: <laughs> yeah. It was a yeah. <laughs> so was Yeah. 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 So, hey, well, so, you know, speaking of driving at home, so what, what do we, um, I send out a message to, uh, our Patreon, um, sponsors. Thanks again, Patreon sponsors for sponsoring us. Um, and i said hey listen you know we're going to be making some masks and you know we're probably going to, you know t-shirts and pins and stuff let us know if you're interested cuz i mean some of them have been with us for a long enough time that they've they've earned that right mm-hmm. um like when we do one we haven't we haven't come up with an idea so carol and i were sort of like just loosely talking about it today um what we would call this year's t-shirt i, I don't want to have anything covid related because we don't know where we are in the process right
2: yeah and it's sort of tacky too
1: yeah it's tacky yeah. so i don't know like do we do we uh unless we say something like you know Working from home since 2014, or um, driving at home, or for those of you driving
2: at home. (laughs) Driving at home. Yeah, driving at home. There might be something in there. Driving at Mm -hmm. home. Kind of an in joke. Yeah,
3: yeah. yeah it fits. It's a it's an icebreaker. People be like, "What do you mean driving at home?" Or mm-hmm. you know, if it was uh, MTJC online, sort of asking the question, like, "Wait, was it not online before? Did they <laughs>
1: yeah.
3: did they go meet somewhere and do this? How
1: did that happen?" Like, no, actually, it's just a it's just a joke, you kids. Funny, you know, a coworker of mine who just left the left our company. Um, you know, he had to bring his Mac to me and all that kind of stuff at, at the end because he was actually one of my reports. And he said, um, he said, "Hey, can I get another sticker for?" For when I'm driving at home, right? Because I guess, you know, mm. since he had to turn in his computer, he's losing his sticker, right? So, so I gave him a couple of stickers when he came by, but he but he did say, for when I'm driving at home, which I thought was interesting.
2: Oh, so we, we got a, a little bit of a shout-out today in, in my uh, office. We had a kind of a, a, a trivia game today, right, with the whole oh, yeah. team. Yeah. And so, you know, people on the team prepared all the questions. Uh, and one round was questions about people on the team, you know, you know, personal yeah, course, things yeah. about the people on the team. And we one of the trivia questions was, "What is Mark's podcast all about?" Really? <laughs>
1: nice. yeah. And what they answer?
2: <laughs> iOS development. They got it right.
1: Oh, it wasn't wasn't the secret secret? Um um, Grateful Dead fan club? No. <laughs> no, <laughs> Or archaic 70s music?
2: <laughs> no, although one of my teammates was, she was like, isn't it about quantum physics or something like that?
1: <laughs> quantum <laughs> physics. Yeah, Well, it is about <laughs> physics from time to time. Sometimes. You know, I feel, yeah, you, yeah. feel
3: like you, you, you could get a very misleading impression depending if you randomly scroll through the show.
1: Yeah, yeah true. That's the more than just code part. But that's what makes it interesting, right? Yep. iOS code and and quantum physics. We have talked about quantum computers from time to time. Mm. We were talking mm. about Trudeau and his quantum computing theory. That's
3: right. Yeah. Hey, you know, um, I really enjoyed the the Last Dance series that just ended this past weekend. What was the that documentary yeah, about? This the documentary about the '97 '98 Chicago Bulls. Oh, it was, it was very very good. Uh, Isn't that before your time? I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I was like in high school. <laughs> You know oh, we, that oh, happened. Okay. I mean, I was I was born and and, and
1: conscious, and I remember those times. Ninety seven, ninety eight. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. I was busy working. Yeah, me too. I wasn't following back at all. When did the when did the Raptors start? Twenty five years ago, right?
3: Uh, roughly around the same time that Jurassic Park happened in like the
1: early nineties. Oh, Raptors! Right. Well, we had this. We had a Velociraptor um, that they discovered in Alberta. That's where the Raptors got their name from.
3: I'm sure the success around the world of Jurassic park had nothing to do with with the choice
1: oh um, i don't know i think right yeah we had this um like i said we had this raptor they found in in us in alberta that
2: was 1995
3: 95 okay yeah see that makes that makes sense so like alberta if my uh, my map for reading is fine is is pretty far away from toronto it's not exactly close yeah possible i mean the all the different sports leagues are talking about various degrees of oh here's what we could do to have a, a season or a shortened season and who knows who knows mm-hmm. i miss sports i don't want to see people get hurt just so i can enjoy sports
1: what do you think about all the virtual sports people people been watching like the like nba players playing like you know nba on ea exactly. or whatever? <laughs> i i can understand why or NASCAR people
3: racing. might like it i i really can't get into it even though i do enjoy playing some of those games i do enjoy players that It's just not the same thing for me. I I watch a different kind of gaming, more retro stuff. Or nutty new stuff. Like, did you know that we are in the timeline, uh, or, or the specific multiverse yeah. where the most recent Mortal Kombat, that's <laughs> Mortal Kombat 11, for those of you following along at home, uh, as DLC that's downloadable content that includes Robocop versus Terminator as fighters. It's, it's pretty, oh, yeah. it's pretty brilliantly done. I've, I've seen that. I'm like, oh, they, they did a really good quality job there. It fits the look and feel of Mortal Kombat while still staying true to those characters.
1: Well, according to Wikipedia, it's based on the popularity of the movie, like you said.
3: I didn't want to call it shameless on the air, but uh, but I might, you know. <laughs> the, the, the modern Raptors logo is a little bit more uh, metaphorical, you know, symbolic. And the original one, from what I recall, like the Vince Carter era one, I'm like, oh, yeah, that definitely was designed with Jurassic Park in mind.
1: Well, Carol and I went to Alberta once to do uh, banners for the Dinosaur Project, which was something that was out of, um, it's probably something different now, but... Back then, it was uh, something that was happening in Alberta, in Edmonton. I mean, like, 92, 92. So you're saying um, they had raptors
3: there? Because I, I thought where you were going was, like, the Albertosaurus, the smaller yeah, the smaller so T-Rex...
1: Family member, yeah. There was a, I'm sure there was a raptor that they found. We have somewhere I have artwork for the for that particular dinosaur project I was talking about, Um, and uh, it's a raptor in the artwork.
3: Speaking of dinosaurs, this stuff changes quite a bit. Like I remember that Brontosaurus was not a real dinosaur. It was like, oh no, it's actually you know like a female or child version of a Patasaurus. And then I think now they're like, oh no, wait, actually it is a different one. Brontosaurus might be a legit dinosaur again. Yeah, really. If I wait long enough, yeah. Maybe Southern. maybe Pluto can be a planet again too. Stop hurting my childhood.
1: I learned it then. I
3: don't need to change. Yeah. Stupid science.
1: Well, I found a thing here called the Southern Alberta Dinosaur Project, part of the Royal Ontario Museum. Uh, yeah. See, so look at this. You search for brontosaurus,
3: you get forget extinct. The brontosaurus never existed. NPR from 2012, and then 2015, yeah. scientists say it's time to reinstate the brontosaurus. Really? Yeah.
1: But the brontosaurus, as we know it, like the one, like the like you see in the Flintstones and stuff like that, that was not a real dinosaur. It was made up from they put wrong bones together. Brontosaurus? Right, no, Brontosaurus it? is real.
2: Yeah. Was it? Well, not the one you see in the sunstones. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that was right. hand drawn. Come on. Yeah. Well, we need you to tie break it here, Jaime. I mean, I grew up as like, oh yeah, Brontosaurus
3: is one. And then it's, you know, as it got older, it's like, oh no, actually it's not a legitimate dinosaur. It was misclassified. Is and that true? Now, in the modern era, it's like, oh yeah, actually it is a real dinosaur. So, and so when I say real dinosaur, what I mean is like, it is actually a different species and not, oh, this is just a Smaller Mm. version of an existing species,
2: right? Wikipedia seems Hmm, to think think that it's uh, a real thing. Rontosaurus. Rontosaurus?
3: What I want Hmm. to know is how can I be from the state of Texas? And granted, this dinosaur was not found in Texas, but it is named Alamosaurus. Which I I feel like we should (laughs) never forget. Alamosaurus
1: (laughs) was it a Mexican dinosaur? Maybe
3: it says here Wikipedia that's not named after the Alamo in San Antonio, Texas, or the battle. It is Uh named. uh, It was. Discovered in New Mexico, and at the time of its naming, uh, it had not been found in Texas. Instead, the name comes from Ojo Alamo, the geologic formation in which it was found.
1: I just started look through, look through my old server, but uh, I think all of my uh, artwork is that was on um, actually on removable media drives is now on a CD somewhere. Let's see if we can find that. Uh, oh, here you go, Canadian a CD. See if we can find that, the artwork for the for dinosaur. Mm-hmm. Hmm. links it make you say, hmm. Yeah. So I I went into the flag and banner company I worked for back in the day. Um, I ended up with all the artwork. I left there years and years ago.
3: Apparently, if you search for dinosaurs enough, Google reminds me of a show I used to watch when I was younger. That was Dino Riders, mm-hmm. which had one season, 14 episodes in uh, 1988. That was toy dinosaurs that had people riding on them and they were outfitted with like guns and missiles. Sorry, what were they? toy to dinosaurs? Yeah, dino, dino Riders. Dino hyphen riders. Dino riders. Not writers riders and writing yeah yeah yeah. i remember that line and i remember at some point like the smithsonian started putting out um uh, what they were calling mini models of uh, of dinosaurs you know like mm-hmm. you know more natural colors and stuff and i said wait a minute did, did somebody realize they had the plastic molds for dino riders and said hey what if we just don't include the guns <laughs> we have this very realistic looking stegosaurus this very realistic looking um deinonychus we just painted in like brown instead of, you know, hot pink and green and other crazy colors from the eighties. I feel like that was a, a real win. I, I looked at it and I was like, yeah, that's very clearly based on the toy brand that I used to have. Or possibly mm-hmm. vice versa. Maybe somebody got smart and said, Hey, what if we do <laughs> they're not selling too many of these Smithsonian toys? What can we use the models for? We we can still cast molds. Hey, what if i make a toy line out of it? Yeah. What if? That's very clearly the only reason i know of diplodocus which is a apatosaurus brontosaurus type i used to call it diplodocus
2: is it diplodocus
3: i thought it, i thought it was diplodocus and i'm pretty sure that's what they called it on the show yeah um, but i thought i'd heard somebody more you know like on youtube or something call it diplodocus yeah. i don't i don't know i don't know the truth I don't know. it's like a like a skinny version of a brontosaurus yeah. skinnier and longer he's based on the show and he had badass suite of yeah. <laughs> missiles <laughs> hanging from his neck that he would <laughs> shoot <laughs> <laughs> and a little it was like a like an apc it was like an armored carrier you could carry little guys who could jump out in his infantry you know on a like a backpack thing he was wearing it was a weird show it was very 80s yeah. all
2: right guys i think i'm gonna head out it's nine o'clock on the end. all right all right sir talk right. to you guys have, have a league. good week have a good one okay
0: Bye. Bye.